how true that is. His promise still stands. God is a promise keeper and he's faithful to the end. And, and today you can claim that assurance and that promise for you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated for a moment. And uh, as we continue to worship God, I, I'm going to ask uh, Don Varlak to join me up here. Um, and in fact, I'm going to ask James and Zara to come accompany her um, as you come. And Jaden over here, who was with Grandpa. Um, Don has been a worship leader for this service for three years. Um, and come on up here. Yeah. And, uh, and after these three years, there have been some circumstances that have come uh, into Dawn's life. Uh, she was in the hospital recently with pretty scary stuff. And uh, we prayed for her. And they're still trying to figure out what's going on. We, we already know that God is answering prayer. There's, there's already been uh, answered prayer as far as uh, the blood clot in the lung is gone. And, uh, and, and God is continuing to heal. We're believing that. Um, also, she'd been uh, with her mom, Aurora, caring for her dad, uh, who was very ill. And then God called David Hill uh, to heaven uh, about uh, on the 4th of July. And, uh, and it's been just a difficult journey over the last several days. And, and Don um, is, is led to step down from being our worship leader. Uh, she's not leaving us, not going anywhere. Uh, we love you, uh, Varlak family, James and Don and, and Jaden and Zara. Uh, I really think it's neat that her mom's name is Aurora and she's Dawn, which is Aurora in English, and Zara, which is Aurora in Hebrew. So uh, it's really pretty cool. Uh, but today we just want to say thank you for your service. And we want to have an opportunity to pray over you and the family at this time. And I'm going to ask Monica to come and present these flowers in appreciation uh, for you. These three years of serving the Lord through. Aren't you grateful for Dawn? And I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer for Dawn and the family. Would you extend your hand to the front? Father, we thank you so much for Dawn and the ministry that you've given her and how she led us to your presence through worship for three years. How you've used her to encourage our hearts and to turn our focus to you for her spirit, for her service, for her life. We thank you. And at this season of her life where where she's undergoing health challenges, we pray for your healing in her life, that, that everything that is there will disappear and that you will give answers to the doctors. Uh, if you wanna give answers, if there's no answers, that you just give her healing and that she just rests in you. For James and the kids, we pray. We pray for comfort as they miss David already. We pray for Aurora. We pray, God, for, for your presence and your grace to be real to them. And we pray that as they continue to walk with you and, and grow as disciple makers, that, that they will find in our church and their home group a place where, where they can be ministered to, 
as they have ministered to others. So bless their lives, God, and, and bless this service. Help us as, as we seek your leadership in the worship area. We know you have an answer. You, we know you have provision already. We just pray that you show it and that you help us trust you. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Love this family. There's been a, a series of movies, the third installment of which uh, this summer, uh, came out this summer. And the entire series is about a guy who grew up as an orphan and then was trained as an assassin for the Russian mafia. And, uh, and uh, it, the story begins when he retires from being an assassin and he's trying to lead a peaceful life and the son uh, of a mobster comes and kills his dog and steals his car. I don't know which is a worse crime out of those two, but uh, this guy becomes so enraged with, with this injustice that, that he takes on the entire mob by himself. And so begins a story of shooting and fighting and killing. And there's been three movies, none of which I'm recommending or endorsing by any means. Uh, but after three movies, after thousands of lives that have been taken and I don't know how many bullets that have been shot and knives that have been thrown and blood that has been spilled. The fighting continues and it just seems to never end. <clears throat> and I'm just amazed at how people flock to watch movies that, uh, that have this, this idea of, of revenge and uh, of taking justice into your own hands. And, uh, and, and maybe people have become disillusioned with with the justice system or with the way things are. Maybe they're just tired of so much evil in the world and, and, and somehow we're okay at least for an hour or two identifying with a lady who takes revenge because of what has happened to her family or with a man who takes revenge because of what has happened to his life. But for those of us that know God, things ought to be different, don't you think? For, for people who don't know God, maybe, maybe that's understandable although not justifiable. But for those of us that know Jesus Christ, those of us that are followers of Christ, things ought to be different. So as we continue in our series in the life of David, we come to a message that we've called, When Others Do You Wrong. And we, we learn uh, how David acts as Saul continues to pursue him in order to kill him. I want to invite you to go with me to our text today, which is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24, beginning with verse 1. 1 Samuel 24, 1. And it reads like this. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took these Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. So Saul 
is doing what kings do. He, he's led his people into battle with the Philistines. That's, that's what kings usually do. But when he's coming back from one of the battles, somebody tells him that David is, is out in the wilderness. This is the guy that he's been pursuing. And suddenly this, this kingly figure, this, this, this battle warrior turns all of his attention from the battle to David, to this, this one guy that, that he's after and he changes his focus. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous because David hasn't done anything against Saul. David hasn't applauded against him. He hasn't rebelled against him. All that David has ever done was to serve Saul. So, so, so it's really crazy that, that, uh, uh, that Saul, who has bigger fish to fry, would turn all of his attention to this young man who has been nothing but a good servant and someone who's been a friend to the family. It's ludicrous because Saul has taken an army of 3,000 men 3,000 men to look for David who's not even trying to hurt Saul. He has maybe 400 guys, that motley crew that came and found them at the cave, maybe 400 guys, but Saul takes all of these resources of the kingdom, it shows his obsession with getting David out of the way. So as Saul and his men get closer to where David has been spotted, Saul goes into a cave to use the restroom. And unbeknownst to him, David and his men are in the back of the cave. Now, I wonder, if you were David, what would you have done? Be honest. I mean, when somebody does you, does you, when somebody does you wrong, when somebody does you wrong, when somebody does you wrong, what, what do you do? Or, or maybe, what, would, what do you wish you would do, you could do? So David, uh, let's look at what David does because I think we can learn from him. And the first lesson that we learn from David is remember to respect. See, those of us who know God, we, we remember to respect because respect flows out of knowing who God is. Respect flows out of believing that God is in control. Respect comes from knowing that God made every single human being and has allowed them to be where they are today. We respect others because we respect God. Others may do the wrong thing, but we remember that we're accountable to God. Others may seek to harm us, but our response to that needs to be born out of our relationship with the God in whom we trust. Now, notice how David displays his respect for Saul, verses four through seven. It says, once, Verse four, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. Saul found himself in the most vulnerable position that anyone could ever find themselves in, literally. I mean, he was caught with his pants down, or with his robe up, I don't know. But there he was. And David's men thought, man, this is not a coincidence. 
God allowed this to happen, David. I mean, God is setting him up for you. This is your opportunity to get rid of the guy who's trying to destroy you and claim God's promises on your life. And so uh, they began to encourage David to kill Saul, but David is not eager to destroy Saul. Instead, he sneaks up and he cuts off a piece of Saul's robe because that will give him evidence that he could have harmed him, but he chose not to. Notice in this passage, David's respect for Saul. He calls him my master, the anointed of the Lord. See, what David is doing here that in spite of what Saul has tried to do to David, David recognizes that at one point, God chose Saul to be the king. And that if Saul was still the king, it's because God was allowing it to be so. And out of respect for God, he was respecting the king. He was respecting his office. David refuses to rise up against Saul, lest he be rising up against God. That's his respect. See, David doesn't determine the worth of Saul's life based on whether he likes him or not. David doesn't determine the legitimacy of Saul's rule based on whether he agrees with him or not. And it's a good reminder to all of us because we live in such polarized times, whether it's in social media or at the coffee shop or in mainstream media, people are so much on their extreme positions about politics and social things that they begin to disrespect and to demonize others. It's not just a civil discourse about what things we may agree on or disagree with, it's a destroying of each other's character and personality. I, I like the saying that says, it's okay to disagree, but it's not okay to disrespect. Perhaps we should take time to look at people from God's perspective. When you have a high reverence for God, you'll have a high respect for other people. Respect for others should not be based on whether you like them or whether you agree with them, but on the fact that they're people that God loves. When others do us wrong, we can learn from David. We can learn to respect others, we respect their lives, we respect their value, we respect the office, the position. And then secondly, we find in this story that we ought to refrain from revenge. That's what David does. He makes sure that Saul knows what could have happened that day. Saul may be David's enemy, but David is not Saul's enemy. Did you, see, did you notice that? Just because someone decides to become your enemy doesn't mean you have to be their enemy. Just because someone decides to lower themselves to a level doesn't mean you have to lower yourself to their level. You don't need to let others determine who you are or how you respond. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. It, it doesn't mean that, that, uh, that, that you don't seek some kind of uh, justice. It doesn't mean that you don't act with wisdom. You don't, take, you don't have to take revenge in order to be proactive. I like what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 10, 16. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Man, that's a great saying. Jesus is saying, look, just because you're righteous doesn't mean you have to be dumb. You can be shrewd as snakes. You can be smart. You can be strategic. You, you can be proactive, but just make sure that, that you don't do anything that is 
sinful. Now, what does that mean to be shrewd as snakes and to be innocent as doves? Well, David gives us a, a good example of what that means. Continue to read with me in verse eight. He says, David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he's the Lord's anointed. See my father. Did you notice the tenderness there? David is calling Saul, my father. See my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing, a dead dog? A flea, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. David wanted to set the record straight with Saul and the army. This is David being shrewd. He wanted the whole army to know what David had an opportunity to do but didn't do. He was really showing up, this is Saul's character and this is my character. He was putting down on display, I'm just saying. Once again, David demonstrates his respect for Saul. He states his commitment not to lay his hand on the Lord's anointed. David confronts his aggressor. He's not afraid of him. He's not refusing to take revenge because he's a chicken. He's willing to, to face him and tell him, look, this is what has happened today. And twice in his speech to Saul, David states that he's leaving judgment up to the Lord. He trusts the Lord to decide who has done wrong and who has done right and then to act accordingly. See, here's the thing. David doesn't think that he needs to be his own savior because he has a savior. David doesn't think that he has to be the judge because he has a Lord who is able to judge better than anyone else. When we're being treated unjustly, it's hard to, to just sit there and simply trust in God's justice, isn't it? When we see so much wrongdoing around us, we struggle to believe that God's gonna make everything right. We're eager to, to rush and do something. This week in Philadelphia, a mom went up to the store where her husband worked and she left her three children in the car with the car running. And as she was talking to the father inside, Eric Hood, 54 year old man, hijacked the car. And as he was driving away with the three kids in the back, uh, the parents noticed and so they chased him on foot. And uh, thankfully he got stuck in traffic. And uh, so the parents caught up and, and they yanked him out of the car and, and Eric, the, the hijacker assaulted the father and then he ran away. But the crowd had been watching and they had been, and they had been listening to what was going on and the crowd caught up with him and they beat him down 
to death. To death. And the police are saying, and the media is saying, well, wait, is this mob rules or is this poetic justice or is this anarchy? People are eager to, to take justice in their own hands. But, but the Bible calls us to refrain from revenge because we trust God to bring justice in his own way at his own time. That's why the apostle Paul admonishes Christ followers to trust his word. Romans 12, 19 says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, refraining from revenge is an act of faith. It is trusting that God is in control. Refraining from revenge speaks to our character. David says, from evil doers come evil deeds. What David is saying, Saul, you've been doing evil things to me. That speaks of who you are. But I'm not going to do something evil because that's not who I am. That's what he's saying. Paul continues his admonishment to the church in Rome in verse 20 of Romans 12, where he says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, paying back evil for evil means that we have been overcome by evil. That's what the text implies. Paying back evil with good shows that we belong to a God who is good. We say God is good all the time. And if God is good all the time, his children ought to act with goodness. In, in, in March of 2010, a 19-year-old uh, young man by the name of Connor walked into the police station turning himself in because he had just killed his fiance, 19-year-old girl. They had been arguing for three days over text and over the phone and in person. And they had gone to bed every night without resolving their differences. And on the third day, when he was uh, frustrated and exasperated, he got a gun and he shot her in the head and uh, left her for dead and went to the police station to turn himself in. They sent first responders and, and they came to, to the scene of the crime and they found that she was still breathing and, and they began to administer aid to her. They, they took her to the hospital and her situation was really difficult. They, they wrapped her entire face and head with bandages and they put her on life support. Uh, she was not conscious at all. It's only the stem of her brain that was functioning. And when the parents of Anne, was the name of the girl, heard about what had happened, they hoped that Connor was with her. Because see, they knew Connor. They knew Connor to be a young man that loved their daughter and they were going to get married. They, the families know each other, knew each other. They never, it never occurred to them that it might be him who did this. But when they learned, they got to the hospital and the man was a man of faith. He was praying for his daughter and, and as he was holding her hand, he, he heard a voice in his head. It was her voice that said, forgive him. And he said, no way. There's no way. Never. And he kept hearing this voice in his head, her voice saying to him, forgive him. She wasn't conscious. She couldn't speak. But it's the voice that she was hearing, that he was hearing. And he continued to hear that. In the meantime, uh, his parents, 
who were far away heard about it and they rushed and they went to the hospital. The, the parents knew each other. They, they hugged each other awkwardly and they said, I'm glad you're here. Uh, the, Anne's father said, I may hate you next week, but, but thank you for being here. And for some weird reason, Connor, in the list of people that could visit him in jail, put Anne's mother. He wasn't sure why he did that, but when she learned of the fact that he could visit him in jail, she'd been at the hospital for several weeks waiting to see what would happen, praying that she would come back to life. And, and, and she decided that she would go visit him in jail. And he, she asked her husband, what would you like me to say to Connor? And he said, tell him that we love him and that I forgive him. And she said, I don't know that I can do that. She went and, and visited with him and Connor kept on apologizing profusely and, and, and she was crying and not knowing what to do. And after crying and talking, she was able to extend forgiveness to him. And after they made peace, she, she walked away from that jail to the hospital where they removed life support from the daughter. It's hard to do a thing like that. It doesn't come natural. But how we respond when others do us wrong says much about who we are and whose we are. David refrained from revenge because he trusted in God. And as Christ followers, if we trust that God is in control, we, we will also refrain from revenge. We'll leave that up to him. And the third thing that we learn from, from David in this story is that he did the right thing the right way. When you have reverence for God and when you trust him, you you will do the right thing the right way. There are people who think that the end justifies the means. That means they think that if they're doing the right thing, it doesn't matter if they do it the wrong way. They, they believe that if they're doing it for the right reasons, they can go about it the wrong way. But that's not what we find here. I, I remember a friend early in my ministry who said to me, the right thing done the right way is still the wrong thing. God decided that he was gonna remove Saul as king of Israel. Removing Saul from the throne was the right thing. God decided that he was gonna put David on the throne. David was gonna become king. David becoming king was the right thing. But if it was the right thing, it had to be done the right way. If it was God's plan, it had to be done God's way. And David understood that. Notice in our story how, how Saul knows exactly what's going to happen. Saul knows what's going to happen, but he acknowledges David's integrity. He acknowledges David for not shortcutting God's plan. Let's finish the passage in verse 16. It says, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. 
See, both Saul and David knew what was going to happen, that God was going to give the throne of Israel to David. But the difference between the two is that Saul was trying to stop God's plan and David was waiting for God to carry out his plan. The difference between the two is that Saul was taking God's plan into his own hands so that he could change it his way and David was leaving God's plan into God's hands. I wonder how many times people rush to do something good the wrong way. How many times do we rush God's table and at the end, we only cheat ourselves. Jesus is the perfect example of, of doing the right thing the right way. Do you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan? Did, have you noticed that none of the things that Satan tempted Jesus with were bad things? For example, Satan told Jesus to turn stones to bread. That's not a bad thing. That's not an awful thing. I mean, it'd be better if they turned into tortillas, but it would have been good anyway, right? It, it, Satan tempts Jesus to throw himself from the highest pinnacle of the temple so that, so that people can see that God can rescue. That's not a bad thing for people to see that God can rescue. Uh, it, Satan tempted Jesus with all the kingdoms of the earth. That's not a bad thing. That's why Jesus came to earth. He came to, to reclaim those kingdoms and to be Lord of them. None of the things that Satan offered Jesus were bad things. So why was it a temptation? Because he was inviting him to do it the wrong way. He was inviting him to bypass God's plan. He was inviting him to worship him. But Jesus knew that to do God's plan it has to be done God's way. Jesus understood, and he chose not to rush, not to shortcut God's plan, but to, to go the hard way, to go the road of suffering, to go the road of Calvary, because that was God's plan. He did the right thing the right way, and he gives us the example. He gives us the way. When others do you wrong, you may be aware of your rights, and that's good. You may be aware of what would be the right thing in this situation, and that's good. And as you act and as you ask God for wisdom to know what to do, make sure that you go about it the right way, that if it is God's plan, that it's done God's way. See, David had the opportunity to repay Saul for his evil deeds by destroying him on this occasion. But out of his reverence for God and his incredible faith in the Lord, he chose not to do it. He chose to let God do his plan, his way, in his time. Children of God, we do not act vengefully, but trustingly, doing the right thing in the right way. My invitation to you today is when others do you wrong, and I know others have done you wrong and others will do you wrong. We, we live in a broken world. Trust God and act with integrity rather than with vengeance. As we close, I'd like you to hear the story of this young man by the name of Jake. Watch this video. When I was in school in Minnesota, I had very close friends. And when my father changed jobs, we decided to move 
out to New Jersey. And I remember sitting on the front step of our new house in New Jersey thinking, I can't wait to meet all these new friends. I can't wait to go have a good time with these kids, play sports with them. And that dream, so to say, kind of was shot down almost instantaneously when I started my first day of school out there. Really, it was probably the first week that it started to get bad because they found out because I'm new, I don't have any friends, I don't have any connections, I don't have anyone to lean back on. I was labeled certain terms that were awful and they would always try to beat me up and try to shove me into lockers. I would literally put my feet down and stretch thinking that I would grow more because they would make fun of me so much for being small. I remember them being in, in a circle like they would in movies with me in the center. They would take towels, get the tips wet, and they would whip me with them to the point where I'm bleeding, I'm bruised. I carried all of that on my back. I made that who I was. The pain and the anger and the self-destruction defined me. Well, one of the biggest things that helped me survive when I was out in New Jersey was my faith. One day when we were at youth group, I realized the true strength that the Lord has in me. And I realized that I know it's gonna be tough for a while, but I know things are gonna turn around at some point. Senior year came around and I realized the only way I'm gonna get over this and the only way I'm gonna get this stuff off my back is if I reflect on what happened I forgive those kids for what they did to me and move on. Obviously those thoughts come in my head every once in a while. I know I'm not all these things that they called me. I have confidence now, I have self-esteem, and I'm confident in saying that I am who I am, and that is through the power of Christ because I'm a completely different person than I was then. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Aren't you glad that Jesus forgave us at the cross? And he empowers us through his death and his forgiveness to be people that forgive, people that let go. You know, we live in a broken world. People are mean. There will be injustice. There will be things that are not right. There will be circumstances that you know are not supposed to be. But aren't you glad that what defines us is not our circumstances or the people around us? Aren't you glad that what defines us is that we have a big God who's in charge, who is Lord, who is loving, who is forgiving, who's full of grace, who's faithful, and who's just and who will make everything right in his time. Aren't you glad?
that's who we are and whose we are. Let's stand together. As you bow your head, will you think about what it is that, that God is calling you to trust him with? Who is it that he needs you to forgive? What situation is he asking you to leave in his hands? What is it that you need to let go of today? Maybe you're here today and you say, I could never, I could never be that person that forgives. I could never be that person that refuses to take vengeance. And, and the reason you can't, and none of us can, is because it takes the power of Jesus to do it. And so if you've not met Jesus, if he's not your Savior and Lord, then today you can say, I want that power. I want to be a, a person that is forgiven and forgiving. I want my past to be erased and, and I want to have a, a new beginning, a clean slate, not just in my life, but in all my relationships. I want that peace. I want that freedom. You can find it in Jesus. You can say, Jesus, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I'm hurting. But I know you love me. You love me so much that you went to the cross. And you died for my sins. And you rose from the dead. And because of your death and your resurrection, I can have new life. I can have forgiveness. I can have a relationship with you where I can trust you above all things. So I receive you as Savior and Lord. I will be a follower of Christ. Give me your power. Make me a new creature, a new person. Give me that hope and that peace in Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer in faith, God is already working in your heart to make you a new person. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love for you to come to us after the service or even during this song and let us know what God is doing in your life. We're going to sing, and as we sing, I want to invite you to continue to respond to God's word today. Maybe you want to kneel down here at the front. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. There'll be people here that'll be willing to pray with you. Maybe you just want to sit down and, and pray where you are, but don't leave this place without putting your faith in the Lord as we sing.